Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Welcome to episode four. Today, we continue with part three of our series, The Broken Discipleship Factory. Last episode, we looked at enlightenment and the solution of truth. In this episode, we're looking at volunteerism and the solution of choice. Hi, Father. Hi. <laughs> nice to be chatting with you again. This is a, another light topic for today. And, another uh, light topic. Yeah. Yes, I was just um, contemplating that whenever I, whenever I see volunteerism, um, my Latin background uh, brings yes. up voluntas, which means the will or a wish or consent or a desire, but or it comes from the 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 verb volo, which means to will or anyway. So that's where volunteerism comes from. Yeah, does volo, which is volo, which again, yes, that's true. I pronounce it of, classically. <laughs> exactly, which makes me think of a rollo, which is a candy. So ah. I have a problem with that. Everything reminds me of food. I'm sure that's a problem. Yeah, your willpower to. <laughs> <laughs> We have a problem with the willpower. Wolo. I will. All right. Well, yes, that's, but you're right. That's where volunteerism comes from. It comes from that volo, voluntas, you know, family of Latin words, meaning the will or to choose. Uh, It does not mean wishful thinking. Okay. Yeah. It's not, I wish it would happen so much as I will it to happen, but so, are we ready to dive in? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. I will, my cue or not? Volunteerism. Yeah. So, the uh, again, I got this word from uh, Dr. Wilder when he was doing some uh, uh, webinars for Deeper Walk several years ago, and as a we started working on a solution of choice together, took a little bit deeper dive into this, began to understand that um, some of the Puritan theologians, like William Ames, wrote. Uh, their theologies really started with the will and the idea that man is what I choose is central to the faith or the choices that I make. And again, we've argued that uh, discipleship is like a wheel and that at the center of this wheel is our attachment with Jesus and then our attachment with uh, his people and moving out from there. And then the, the spokes on the wheel are things like truth and choices and power and tolerance, but that they are not meant to be the hub of the wheel. And when they become the hub, bad things happen. The whole thing gets off balance. And so what we see this a lot in that Christianity, when because of um, this emphasis on the will, started becoming somewhat reductionistic and making everything a choice. Right, so we started focusing on salvation as a choice, like decision, make this decision for Christ. And when that happened, evangelism became very much like sales. Like the whole goal is that we got to get people to make this choice. We got to make it, get them to make this decision. And, uh, and I remember, you know, I, I was a part of the Billy Graham crusades. It came to the Indianapolis in the year 2000. And I was one of the counselors who went down and met with people, but their own studies showed that something at the time, something like only one out of seven people who went forward and made this decision for Christ actually showed any evidence of following through with it. Like they are not, uh, only one out of seven 
could they record or find any evidence that there was actually life change that followed? So it's not that decisions don't matter, and it's not like there's not a decision involved, but if you stop and think about it, becoming a Christian is much more like getting married. And that is it, it may involves a decision, right? There are choices I have to make here, and there is an act of the will that happens. But what I'm doing is I'm forming an attachment with, you know, in with my wife in this case, that is um, begins here. And it is supposed to now grow and expand. And so the attachment makes us one. Uh, and it's not just an act of will that makes us one. And so we also get into this idea of like, you know, philosophically, what is the will and what do we mean by the will? And one of the things that I know Dr. Wilder has often uh, explained is that a lot of our thinking about this actually comes from um, medieval philosophy and medieval theology, which uh talks about the human you know makeup in very much like we talk about sunrises and sunsets and that is it, it uses anthropological language it uses this um, uh, words like the will and the emotions and the intellect and breaks it down that way and he he's like well if we break this down to the way that the brain actually functions we're going to get a very different view of who man is and what it means to be human. And so part of what we're trying to do here is, is actually create a new anthropology as a foundation for discipleship. And that is we need to start looking at what it means to be human a little bit differently than the medieval people did. Because today almost nobody uh, goes along with that uh, anthropology unless they're just inheriting it and have never thought about it. Right. Well, and I know Jim talks about you know how brain science shows that you know, we don't just have one will, um, which is where it, it definitely falls apart. It's not like we just got, have to get our one will in line, but we have multiple wills. Yeah, um, I think we can all relate to that, right? It's like part yeah. of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. You know, part of me really wants to go take a nap. Part of me wants to go golf. Part of me wants to study. Part of me knows that I should really, you know, I can have multiple wills going on at the same time. So now it becomes a question of which will is the strongest part of my my brain. He also, you know, based on the brain science, one of the things that was really fascinating was this idea that that he said if you compare uh, your brain to a tree, then attachment is like the roots of the tree. It's really stable. It's really solid. Um, whereas choices are like the leaves on a tree, right? They're in a part of our brain which is really fickle. And that is just like the, you know, leaves can fall off, they can blow, they can change, you know, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. But it's much easier to change what's happening with leaves than it is to change that anchor point of our attachment. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that if I am attached, deeply attached to a holy God, then it's going to start forming me into a holy person. And all of a sudden making holy choices is going to be a whole lot easier. But if I reverse that process and I say, I am going to become a holy person by making holy choices that will eventually form an attachment with a holy God, the whole thing's going to fall apart because it's just not the way it's designed to work. Yeah. Can you can you dig in more on the definition of attachment? Yeah, sure. So when we're talking about, you know, bonding at the deepest part of, of the brain is a craving or an attach, a, a desire to be bonded to somebody else, to be connected, right? So when a baby comes out of the mother's womb, the first thing that baby is looking for is not food. The first thing that baby is looking for is attachment. 
you stop thinking about it, that, you know, a baby's been attached by an umbilical cord, literally for, you know, eight, nine months here. And, and now that they're out in the world, safety and security comes from feeling connected, right? So feeling like I am bonded and I am safe and I am with somebody. So our earliest attachments are formed through smell and through touch. And then after that through sound, right? And then eventually through sight, right? And then it just grows. And then our attachment grows um, deeper and deeper. And so attachments will either be fueled by fear or they'll be fueled by joy. And so what I found is that in discipleship, a lot of us are trying to overcome a fear bond with God and transform that into a joy bond because we started off not feeling safely attached to him. We felt like it was all based on a choice that I had made and I might you know, change my mind about that choice. And, or maybe it was, or maybe you made that choice out of fear. Yeah, exactly. You know, so my own story, right. Was when I was three years old, I had a nightmare about hell and, uh, went to my mom's room, you know, your grandma Warner and Mm -hmm. asked, you know, what do I have to do to make sure I never go to hell? (laughs) Which is a very different question than what do I need to do in order to become a child of God? What do I need to do in order to be attached to God in a positive way? I want to have a, I want to have a relationship with this wonderful person, right? It was no, it was completely fear-based. And so I, I find that a lot of uh, our Christianity, if, if our attachment to God is primarily based in fear, uh, it creates a problem. And I get this question a lot, too. It's like, so why does the Bible say that the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? What, mm-hmm. is it, what is this fear of the Lord talking about if we're saying we want to have a joy-based relationship with God over a fear-based? And I say at this point, we are talking about, about wisdom. And what wisdom, when the Bible's talking about the fear of the Lord, it's talking about which path leads to what is good. And so if you define wisdom as taking the path that leads to God's blessing and to what is good, and you define folly as taking the path that leads to evil and and what's going to mess your life up, he said that in that sense, the foundation of it is the fear of the Lord. And that is, I want to make sure I do what is pleasing to God and get on that path that he's going to bless and so in that sense, there is a fear of the Lord thing. So we sometimes try to soften that to, well, it's respect for God or something like that. But honestly, I think it has to do with the fear of the consequences of, of getting this thing wrong and taking seriously. So wise people understand that choices have consequences and you know, wise people understand that there is something to all of this. So as we talk about choice today, again, we're not saying that choices don't matter and that choices are irrelevant. We're just saying that it's not supposed to be the hub on which everything else is built. It reminds like, me of, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, ahead. It, it just reminds me of um, grandpa talking about, um, you know, if you do things God way, God's way, you get to watch what happens. If you do things your own way, you get to watch what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's the yeah. fear of the Lord is, is, yeah. and so it's not that I'm afraid of God, but the fear of the Lord teaches me that there are real consequences to the path that I get on. And so wisdom starts with making sure I I stay off of that. That's why like Psalm one starts off, blessed is the man who does not, right? It's like blessed is the man who does not, you know, walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way with sinners or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So partly it starts in fear, but then it ends with delight, right? It's like out of, out of the fear of the Lord, I want to make sure I don't do something that's going to ruin my life, but, 
as I push into this, I find delight in the Lord. I find delight in his law and I begin to trust him. And so I think that the idea of attachment in scripture is, in my way of thinking about it, is primarily connected to this word trust, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a joy bond with God is one that trusts him to be a safe and secure presence in my life versus a fear bond with God, which never gets past this idea of, I just don't want him to ruin my life. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So the solution of choice, how do we see this playing out in, in our broken discipleship factory? So way this plays out primarily is that when you go to, you know, church A, church B, church C, you're looking for a solution to your problem. Let's just say that you're struggling with a pornography addiction or you're struggling with an anger issue. Um, and you go to church A and they give you the solution of truth. And they're going to say, here's the Bible says, don't do that. Right. <laughs> and so then you go to church B it's the solution of choice. And they're going to say, well, we already know the Bible says, don't do this. Now we need to make sure that you're going to choose to not do this anymore. So we're going to give you an accountability partner who is going to now uh, you're going to report to every week on your behavior. And that accountability partner will kind of force you to make good choices on this issue. You know, and that's fine because at, at one level we we want to make those good choices, but really we would like to move past, like let's take the porn thing. It's like I, at some point I want to move past where I am craving this and just have to keep that craving under control <laughs> to mm-hmm. I am actually something is healing and being transformed and changing when it comes to this. And I am actually developing a protector mindset that says, even if somebody were to offer this to me, I would not accept it because it's not, it's like me to be a protector rather than a predator. And so, yeah, so you, you go into all of this and we understand that if, if it's all about choices, then it is enough for me to just say no. Right. Same thing you think about love. Like if I go to if I go to the work to work or to school or to someplace and I really hate some people. Right. Or I really despise those people. You know, is it is it enough for me to go to continue despising and hating them, but choose to be kind to them once in a while? Is that loving your enemies? Mm -hmm. Uh, You take it another (laughs) step further. It's like, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm talking about. Uh, you know, as a parent with kids or as a kid with parents or as, as a husband and wife, you don't want to wake up in the morning and have to decide whether or not to love your kids, right? You don't wake up in the morning and decide whether or not you love your parents. You don't wake up in the morning and decide whether you love your wife or not. You There's a, that should be there. That attachment should be there. And then it makes all these other choices easier. So now, well, and sometimes choices then are, you know, if you are waking up and realizing you don't have that attachment, then there's a place for choices as you are getting back onto that path. But the end goal right. isn't, oh, I made the choice to be kind. Um, that's just a tool. It's not the end goal. It, yeah, it choices me, count. Yeah, it makes me think of um, when we talk about counseling and like getting to the, to the root of a heart issue um, and how so many times people go to counseling and it's just fruit picking, like, Oh, I'm going to manage my anger. I'm going to manage my depression. And we're like, we would much rather you manage that than not manage it, right. but we want to yeah. go deeper. Right? right. And so, yes, this is a good thing to learn how to manage these things, but we, we want to find true healing. We want to find true attachment. We want to try. Yeah. Right. 
So we yeah. do want to find we do want to make good choices, but that isn't the but that's a, a again that's a spoke on the wheel. It's not the hub. Mm-hmm. And what has happened is that we have because our voluntarist thinking has is so pervasive is that we have tended to reduce everything to a choice. So not only have we reduce salvation to simply making a choice, but we have reduced love to a choice. Now, how many times have we heard people say love is a choice? I'm like, yeah, not really. Love is an attachment, <laughs> right? And based on that attachment, I'm going to make choices, and there are choices that come out of it. And choices get woven into this. But again, you know, I can be fickle in my choices, but hopefully that attachment is secure. Um. Same thing with uh, joy. You know, when we teach on joy, this idea that there are choices you can make that are going to make the experience of the attachment better. There's choices you can make that are going to make the experience of joy more likely. Um, but you can't just choose, you know, joy any more than you just choose to be happy. Yeah. So, well, I hear talk about closing the joy gap. Yeah, shrinking the yeah. joy gap. Like, there are yeah. things that you can choose to do uh, to build habits into your life. Uh, but we also, but that doesn't mean that you can simply reduce what's going on to a choice. And this is confusing. I mean, for me as a pastor, I remember preaching on first Corinthians 13 uh, and simply reducing it to a list of choices that people make. So I coldly bought into the love is a choice thing and was like, okay, so love is patient. Therefore choose to be patient. Love is kind. Therefore choose to be kind. Love is, you know, never fails. So choose to never fail. Really? You can make that choice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I can uh, make the choice to never fail. It's a, you know, there are some things that you can choose to do because they're loving choices, but that isn't the same thing as saying love is a choice. So we come down to this where, where again, if, if, if a church is offering a solution that says make better choices and here's an accountability partner to help you make better choices. And that's the extent of the help that you're getting because that's all that the model has to offer, right? That you can begin to see why that would get frustrating to people. And yeah. when, when it works, right, when an accountability works and it's truly life-changing, and I've talked to people who've come up to me and said, I don't know why you're bashing accountability. You know, it changed my life. Uh, I, I usually ask them, I said, if you look back on that, I said, was it the relationship and the attachment that you formed with those people and that person? Or was it the fact that they were asking you every week, did you fall? And, and and without exception, they've all been, you know, it was the relationship and the attachment that actually had the power, it, it, you know, much more so. There are a lot of weeks they never even asked, you know, how'd you do? Um, just knowing I was going to be with my people was what kept me on the journey. And so that's kind of what we're, we're, we're getting at here is we want to broaden off the model that the church is using to create transformation so that we don't reduce it to simply, otherwise it's like telling an addict, just say no. Right. And uh, that's the ultimate voluntarist, you know, thing is, you know, just say no. Like, that's the only thing going on is you're making a choice. There's just a whole lot more going on in that situation. Yeah. I was flipping through the solution of choice and and just noticed a call out that I really liked. Um, Says when when choice is invoked in scripture, it is generally calling people to remember who their God is and who their people are and to choose to stand with him. Absolutely. So you yep. get lots of you you do find choice in the Bible, but it is a relational choice just yes. as much. Yeah. It's the choice to live out of the attachment. So even like live a life worthy of the calling you have received, you know, is similar to you know, make the choice to live 
out of the attachments that you formed with God and his people. Uh, that's really our calling. Huzzah. All right. So next week we are what? We're going to be on, see, we've done truth next. and choice. So next one is on power, right? Correct. Correct. So any final thoughts for this week? Um, I think just this, and that is what, at the heart of this broken discipleship factory concept is this idea that, that we have a faulty model, right? And that faulty model is that we put truth in the, as the hub, and then we put the will as the hub. And what needs to be there is attachment with Jesus, attachment with his people, and working on those attachments and strengthening those attachments needs to be the heart. And if we don't make that correction, we're always going to have this wobbly wheel in, our, uh, in, in the way that we approach our discipleship. So hopefully uh, that's uh, helpful because right now we're just trying to clarify things for people and help them get this model clear. Indeed. Well, thank you for your wisdom, Dad. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the trail today. If you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the Deeper Walk podcast and share with your friends. You can find more at our website, deeperwalkinternational.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you back next week.